today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. One of the other big stories uh, emanating from uh, the government of Queen's Park, of course, was uh, earlier this week when uh, Premier Doug Ford spoke to the Economic Club in downtown Toronto. And, uh, well, first of all, we knew right off the bat that this, uh, Ford's got a real problem with uh, the carbon tax that uh, the federal government is, uh, is rolling out right now. Uh, and the Premier actually went on to say that uh, if uh, the carbon tax rolls out as anticipated, uh, that it will cause a not just an economic dur- downturn, but he called it an econ- a carbon tax recession that will hit this country. And it caused quite a bit of ways, but uh, he is sticking to his guns. I can tell you that a carbon tax will be a total economic disaster, not only for our province, but for our entire country. And there are already economic warning signs on the horizon. Uh, when asked what those signs were, uh, there was no reply from the Premier. Uh, when asked to justify some of the statistics, uh, he did not talk to reporters. Uh, it did cause a lot of pushback. A number of economists, almost from coast to coast, have responded to this. Uh, Mike Moffat from Western University was on the program yesterday talking about this, uh, basically suggesting that there's absolutely no credibility to what Ford is saying. As a matter of fact, there's strong evidence to the contrary. So, uh, is, is this politician versus economic, economic expert, or is this politician versus the truth? It's an interesting debate. Joining us to talk about this is Steve Applin, publisher of Emission Track, which monitors CO2 carbon dioxide emissions for energy use. Uh, Steve, thanks so much. Great to have you back in the program today. Great to be here, Bill. Uh, this is not the first time uh, that uh, Doug Ford has created controversy with some of his comments and some of his assertions, uh, but he's certainly got the ire of an awful lot of economists with it. He sure does. It's it's funny the comeback that they've had, and uh, the comeback is um, the it won't cause a recession. So let's have a carbon tax because it won't cause a recession. So you've got hyperbole on both sides, I think. Well, yeah, except that when I, I I did talk to Mike Mike my from Western yesterday on the program, and he was he was quite adamant about this, saying, "Look, at not only will it not cause a recession, but he says there's there's statistics here, empirical evidence uh, in places like British Columbia and and Sweden, and well, as he went on to say." Seven of the top 10 G20 nations, the top performing economies, all have some form of carbon tax. So he says there's a body of evidence out there that says it actually can be a net benefit. And he accuses Doug Ford of only looking at one side of the equation. Well, that's, I guess you could make an argument that that is the case. But again, the, the carbon tax proponents, they've come right out of the woodwork. They're not happy with what Ford has said about the carbon tax. But their comeback is, is not that strong either. Uh, Bill, I've mentioned that that uh, they're you know most of them are, are are not going as far as Mike Moffat saying there's actually going to be benefit. Most of them are just saying it's not going to have the you know it's going to have a, uh, a three billion dollar uh, the, the economy will grow three three billion dollars less than if we didn't have it. Uh, that's a pretty weak recommendation. This is supposed to achieve deep cuts. British Columbia, you know, between 2008 and 2000 and last year, uh, gasoline use went up. It it, it inched up. Diesel use inched up. The carbon tax that was brought in 2008 was supposed to decrease that. And now the carbon tax proponents are pointing this as an example of a successful carbon tax in saying that the rate of increase was not as not what it would have been. That's not what we need in, in this uh, climate change debate. We need deep, significant million-dollar cuts uh, annually and, and to, have a, uh, to have carbonaceous fuel use go up as after a carbon tax means that the carbon tax is not working this is you know that was 2008 we're to 2019 now 
Well, yeah, but the the government's argument on this, I'm just playing, you know, a devil's advocate here, is they're saying, look, at, we will increase it exponentially, but it, we, we don't want to start off with that high. But you're suggesting that maybe they, they go all hog on this right off the top? Well, I mean, they either do, you've got the Joel Harden view. Uh, Joel Harden is uh, my MPP here in Ottawa Centre. Uh, he's, uh, he's advocating a $150 carbon tax. Well, that's getting into the neighborhood of what, of the carbon price that you would need in order to dissuade use of, uh, in places where they've got the, where they've got the option, mind you, in places like Ontario, for example. Uh, that's getting close to what you need in order to dissuade carbonaceous fuel use and use electricity instead because our electricity is quite clean in Ontario. Uh, and I'll also remind uh, our viewers or our listeners that this is that the uh, emission reduction in, in Ontario, the cleanliness of our electricity, had nothing to do with a carbon tax. It was just a technological switch from coal to nuclear. Uh, a $150 ton is getting close to what we're talking about, and no politician is going to go anywhere close to this. No, if they want to get reelected. If they want to get reelected, that's right. So, so the what we've got is we've got the battle of the hyperbole. We've got uh, we've got the premier saying something quite uh, dramatic, it's going to cause a recession, and the uh, proponents of the carbon tax saying no, it won't cause a recession. I, I don't know who's got the stronger or who's got the weaker argument in this case. Well, the only argument that Ford's people put forth, and this was, I guess, after they had a few minutes to sit down in a room and say, "What are we going to say about this?" Because he he didn't seem to have any defense for it. Uh, is they uh, they referenced a, uh, a conference board of Canada report uh, that said that there was going to be a dramatic uh, impact on uh, on the Canadian economy uh, if the carbon tax went up and and I'm sure you saw this uh, as yeah. as a result, Steve. That uh, one of the people that actually wrote this report uh, weighed in on this uh, one, Robin Gibbert, uh, who identified himself as one of the authors of that conference board report and says at no point did we say the carbon tax would cause a recession. We specifically described the overall economic impact as small. Uh, yes. and, and as you mentioned, I mean, you know, the Ford government talked about the number of dollars that may be impacted, but uh, when you, the economists weighed in on this, they said that's less than 1% of the GDP, so what's the big deal? Um, you know, in other words, you could, you, that, anything could cause something like that. That's, cr- that's right. That's, but the, that's other, right. the other side of this, and we're, we're, really we're arguing on the same side here, we're just talking about how extreme we want to get on this, is what Ford fails to do, and Jason Kenney and everybody else that's saying, let's not do this at all, is the other side of that is that money that that's being paid in carbon tax doesn't disappear that's going back into the economy that's going back in to people's pockets in some cases or to go to infrastructure projects and i mean that that's an element of the economy that nobody seems to want to talk about well that's right the and but but once again and this may be what uh the premier is getting at although he didn't articulate it uh the if it goes back into infrastructure projects then the question becomes which infrastructure projects he pulled out of the cap and trade system with California. I've always applauded that move because California is going off and doing these cockamamie green things, uh, such as this battery project that it's got at one of its old gas plants. The battery project is is you know two hundred million dollars for a battery that's going to give you four hours worth of production at a at a you know one hundred and eighty seven or one hundred eighty two megawatts. That's not going to reduce anything. It's not going to store solar energy, and it's not going to reduce of CO2, this is and and cap and trade proceeds went into that. So if we have so, some cap and trade proceeds did some t- cap and trade. That's right. It wasn't uh, fully funded, and we're gonna and it's this is all gonna come out in the wash, by the way, because we're gonna see what because this is not an economical project. This is a government funded project, and that I'm pretty sure that cap and trade proceeds will go into that. 
and if that is the case, uh, there's then the debate is, well, what infrastructure projects do the proceeds go into? And it becomes all political. It, it, we, we can't escape the fact that this is going to get political somewhere down the line. Everything does, though, right? I that, mean, that, that's, that, that's right. a fait accompli. We know that, Steve. I mean, and, and to your point, I mean, I, I can give you a local example. I'm sure it's, it's the same thing in Ottawa. Uh, the previous government, and, and let's face it, they had their long list of shortcomings, but some of the revenue from cap and trade, so from, the, from those carbon, for those purchases, those credits that they bought, uh, was being already directed towards, well, cities like Hamilton for infrastructure repairs and social housing and school board repairs for some dilapidated old schools. That money all of a sudden evaporated the day that he killed cap and trade, and it sent school boards and, and city councils all over the province scrambling, said, we were budgeting for this money, now all of a sudden it's not there, we can't fix our infrastructure. I, I understand that, and if, if, there's a, if there are infrastructure projects, they should be funded from some infrastructure fund, not from cap and trade. But there isn't they, one. That's the problem. Well, then, then, then create one. It's just that, that if... if this is, if that's what cap and trade proceeds are supposed to go to, then that's not the pro, the, that's not the uh, purpose of that fund. The purpose of that fund is to buy down CO two emissions, not to cover infrastructure. Infrastructure is needed, and in, if infrastructure is needed, surely a government can summon the political will and the and the support in order to find it because i mean these are schools i listen i totally agree with you but i'm not going to hold my breath waiting for it to happen because the mantra of this government so far the ford government has been to tear things apart not to put extra funding into into projects so uh, i i the cities right now are doing their budgets ottawa's doing theirs hamilton's doing theirs yep. and and there, there's no money coming and the government has na- made no indication that there is going to be a fund i wish there were because most of the other g8 nations every other g8 nation as a matter of fact has exactly what you have described they have a a, a fully funded ongoing infrastructure fund so that you don't have to start borrowing from other programs to start putting into this. We don't do that in Canada, and we certainly don't do it in Ontario. No, we, we do it on this ad hoc basis, and, and it all becomes, like I said, it, it becomes politicized. If, if, if there were a proper fund that, that covered stuff that has to get covered, uh, we wouldn't be having the discussion. But the, and, and if, you know, this is, this is a, again, the weakness of the, of the carbon price approach is if you're going to divert money into stuff like that, well, then the people who claim that this is nothing but a tax grab are halfway vindicated. But, which is one of the arguments against cap and trade. But the, the, the pricing program the federal government's put in, uh, if you're to believe what they're saying here, is that the money goes back into, well, it can either go to government or it can go to individual consumers. And, and what, uh, what Bill Morneau has already said is since Doug Ford doesn't want to play ball with this program, that those rebates are going to go right back into your pocket and mine. Now, that's that's all of a sudden discretion income that we can spend on whatever we want. But that's good for the economy. True. Well, well it, it, it's certainly good for the individual household economy. But, I mean, is it is it dissuading you and I from using carbonaceous fuel, which is what it's which is what the carbon tax is supposed to do? That's that's the, the, the problem with this. This has now become, well, I mean, I'll get a check from the federal government if I support the, the carbon tax. I mean, whether I reduce carbon is beside the point. It's, it's, it, I think that there should be a direct, more direct line from uh, the tax to the behavior that it's supposed to uh, that it's supposed to cause. How do you get politicians, though, at any level of government, Steve, to to be that committed to it? Because you know as well as I do that no matter how well-meaning any government is that tries to do something like this, and and you use the British Columbia example because theirs has been in place for quite some time. Every time they put a bill forward like this, it gets watered down to the point where like, oh, look at. You know, we, we we all want to get reelected, so let's just cool our jets here a little bit. Well, that's that's the that's just the, that's just the thing because uh, you do have to get reelected. I'm not I'm not 
poo-pooing, you know, I, I, it's easy for me to sit back and, and criticize what politicians are doing. They do have to get elected. They have to, they have to go and they have to go to the door. Uh, I just wish that a carbon tax were tied directly to carbon emissions, and I certainly wish that the economists who are out there uh, um, uh, supporting the carbon tax and giving cover to the governments to governments that are implementing it would uh, show some CO2 reductions as a result of this thing. That's what they're not able to show. They're able to they're they're giving you these fancy arguments talking about rates of increase slowing down and like I said we don't need rates of increase slowing down. We need reductions in in CO2. We need reductions in the use of carbonaceous fuels where that's possible. And where it's not possible, we have to make it possible, and only technology can do this. I, I understand that, but I guess I, I'm going to play devil's advocate once again and say, is any program better than no program? Uh, well, I think that that, uh, a pro- that a program that focuses on technology and the right kind of technology, and you know what I'm going to say, because in Ontario we achieved a, uh, uh, a multi-million dollar reduction, annual reduction by replacing coal with nuclear. Yep. That's, how you're going to, that's how you're going to reduce... Uh, um, electric electric power emissions, and that's the the, the, the problem in in about four or five of our uh, Canadian provinces. That's how they're going to do it. Not some uh, uh, um, you know quitting alcoholism by by switching from wine to beer, which is what they're uh, planning to do by you know replacing coal with with uh, slightly less heavy emitting natural gas. You need to re- replace it with zero emitting uh, um, uh, energy. If, um, unless a program does that, then all it is, it's just politics, politics and posture. Given the, the propensity, though, that governments have uh, at any level of any political stripe uh, to, to want to water things down, to try to make it more palatable for a greater number of people. Uh, and I was talking to Professor Moffat about this yesterday when he was a guest on the program. And, and I got the sense anyway, from, and I've talked to others about this, and I know you have as well, Steve, uh, is I, I don't hear any economist or even any proponent, as a matter of fact, uh, for the federal carbon tax, saying that's it, we've got it solved, we're we're good to go. What they usually do is characterize this as this is a good start to what we need to do. Yes, that's right. It, it, but I, I I question whether it's a good start because again, I come back to BC after you know eleven years of a carbon tax, uh, we've had a an alleged slowing in the rate of increase in gasoline and diesel use. Uh, that's pretty insipid, Bill. We need we need cuts. We we don't need a slowing in the rate of increase. So if that's the good start, I mean, they're not even looking at, uh, at, at demonstrable success stories where we did reduce emissions, which is the whole point of it. This is, what, this is what I find puzzling about this debate, is that the proponents of this tax are not looking at those situations. They're just looking at uh, jurisdictions that have brought in carbon taxes and said, hey, the sky didn't fall, therefore we should, that's, that's a, you know, to me, that's not a good start. That's just a, that's a, a way to kick this problem down to another government that's going to be forced to take some uh, uh, drastic action. But if, uh, and again, to your point, if a government, whether it's this government or a subsequent government, says we, we're going to have to do this incrementally, I mean, you've got to start off below with the standard that you want to meet and, and, and eventually ramp up. I don't think anybody's going to go from where we are to where we should be, because that's just too big a leap. Well, I think uh, I I think that we need to be a little bit more ambitious. Ontario in the 1970s, within 15 years, uh, nuclearized our electricity system. We went from coal and hydro to nuclear as the dominant source, and and we basically shut coal down, and we only brought it back in the 1990s when we laid up some nuclear plants. Uh, this was done in 10 years. 
France, same thing. In the in the after the oil crisis, they went nuclear in their electricity, and they stayed like that ever since. Those are the that's the quickest way to do this, and I think that the sooner people recognize this, uh, the better. But the other element to this uh, that has to be factored in, of course, is is market. Uh, for instance, I mean, we had the wind government that all of a sudden, you remember the budget they put out last year, where it was all about you know, electric cars, electric cars. There were going to be rebates for buying electric cars, yeah, yeah. Uh, which was very controversial. And, and they were going to d- do whatever they could to try to get people in there. Uh, and we kept buying SUVs. I mean, some of them are hybrids. I mean, so, you know, it's not as if the message is totally lost on this. And I know that last year we did sell more electric cars in Ontario than we have in previous years. But still, what is it? Like 1% of the market. So when you, government can't mandate for people to change like that. I mean, there's got to be a combination of, of government policies, but at the same time, you've got to get the public to buy into it. Sure. Uh, well, the, I'm glad you brought up the electric cars. That's an excellent example, and it's an excellent example of the difficulty of this, of this challenge that we're facing. Because what they did, okay, if you, if you bring in a carbon tax to get people to use more, uh, buy more EVs, well, then why did we make electricity so expensive? Because we're you, there's a there's a cutoff point where you know you're going to be ratcheting up a carbon tax. I think how how about just reduce the price of electricity, which is which is a another doable thing. This is something that I wish the current Ontario government would get around to because they promised a 12 percent uh, reduction. Uh, we need to reduce the cost of electricity. If you reduce the cost of electricity, if if you remove some of the market impediments that the government has deliberately put in place. Uh, we would uh, we would facilitate a run to EVs. I think a lot more uh, a lot quicker than putting a tax on carbon. Well, there's and there's some other things that are going against the idea of buying those vehicles right now too. Is obviously the char- time to charge batteries, uh, the uh, yeah. the length yeah. of ter- you know on a trip. I mean, you know, we're in Canada. It's a lot. You know, point A to point B is a lot longer than it is in some European cities. So yeah. we're yeah. not there yet. But that's technology that's being developed. But your point about yeah, let's encourage uh, the the purchase of electric cars. But boy, the way the price of the hydro is still prohibitive. Isn't that a classic example of government where the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing? Well, that's exactly it. We've got the same government. Listen, the, the, uh, Ford took out the cap-and-trade program. The cap-and-trade program was put in by the Liberals. The Liberals jacked up the price of electricity. And then, okay, the, then, then the way that we're going to address stuff like heating and transportation, which are almost all fossil fuels, is we're going to make them more expensive. How about just make the competing energy, which is electricity, which in Ontario is five times cleaner than natural gas, how about just making it less expensive. They deliberately made it more expensive. So yeah, the right hand, either the right hand uh, knew what the left hand was doing and didn't care or it or didn't know, <laughs> like you mentioned. Well, or the other element of that, too, is oftentimes the government says, look at my right hand, don't look at what the left hand's doing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, well, uh, damned if we do, damned if we don't. I, I don't know that we've solved anything here, Steve, but I think we shed a little more light on it. Thanks so much for the time today. Thank you, Bill. Great talking with you. Steve Applin, of course, uh, from Emission Track. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.